Oh, does anybody see any sign of it recording? Yep. Yes. Okay. Recording. Yep. All right. So this is Sunday, July the second. Uh, and I'm glad to see you guys. This is a nice group that we have today. Um, and uh, one of the questions that we had was on right livelihood. Now, this is a very interesting thing from the point is, is that I don't think that there's any videos anywhere in the past seven or eight years where this has been talked about specifically as a topic. And it's rich. Because in order to understand right livelihood, you have to understand the Eightfold Noble Path. So please understand that this talk is about the Eightfold Noble Path anyway. In the sense that um, the Eightfold Noble Path. Uh, <laughs> I didn't catch all of that that you posted, uh, Matt. I'll have to uh, look at it later. Okay. Um, any, anyway, uh, back back to the point is is that the right livelihood actually comes as the last item on the eightfold noble path in the discussion in the Majjhima Nikaya Sutta number one seventeen, and that it comes absolutely last because it's a follow-on for right speech and right action. But if in fact you are taking right speech and right action, the action that you would take would be the right action you take is to walk away from a wrong job. Once you assume, once you understand that the job is wrong. And so um, the issue of right livelihood actually gets very quickly then wrapped up with uh, well, what are you going to do when you quit this job? Because does anybody have any job here that you would consider absolutely without a doubt, beyond a shadow of any doubt at all, that your job is right livelihood? 100%. Not a doubt about it. Anybody got a job like that? <laughs> not a chance. They don't exist. <laughs> Even the people who are, let us say, the president of the Red Cross cannot claim that. Because she's herself has mixed motives and one of the mixed motives that she will have is it's more important for her to keep her position in high authority in a great big organization. And keeping that organization alive is much more important than any charity work the organization actually does. And that uh, that's actually been seen in the amount of uh, the money that they rake in. 80% of it, so they say, about the Red Cross goes to administration and salaries and people running the, uh, the organization. And when they actually then need something for an emergency, they'll go great big advertising. We need all of this money to help that and they'll use that money. But mostly the donations are just kept to run the place. So when we see our organizations like that, we recognize that any organization that's out for the money is probably not very noble. That the uh, the object of it is greed rather than generosity. Uh, even the places that are pegged as being out there for generosity often are with, let us say, at least mixed motives. 
So when we start from that position, let's then back up into again right action and right speech. Because um, a, a, a budding noble Dhamma dude will begin to know that the reason that we have right speech and right action is because speech, when it is wrong, causes dukkha. Just like the thoughts that lead up to the wrong speech causes dukkha. And the actions that we take can cause suffering for ourselves and other people. An example of that would be someone who is about to commit suicide. They don't think about their family, except that I think my family will be relieved to get rid of me as I am without not taking it into the consideration, oh no, your mom is going to grieve. She's going to feel guilty. She's going to feel really bad about doing this. You don't do this. Simply, if you have any compassion for your parents at all, don't do it. Because they will suffer for the rest of their lives over what you did, thinking that you were helping them out by getting, you know, getting yourself off their hands. So, um, that is a great big example. We can see that we have that same sort of thing inside ourselves for every little thing. Anything that you start, you will have a choice about how it ends. And everything comes to an end. The question is, are you going to be wise enough to manage its end? Or are you going to get surprised when things happen? But things are always going to end. And um, when we package the um, the three points of right speech, right action, and then therefore right livelihood, we have to back up now the next step into, well, what kind of mind do we have that allows us to be in right speech, right action, and then ultimately in right livelihood? is that the mind is noble. And what we mean in this case with the mind is noble is finally, through our own insight and wisdom, we know what is right and what is wrong based upon a brand new criteria that we've never had before. And that was the criteria of, does this cause dissatisfaction in ourselves or other people? Normally we have it set up in our mind is, is that it's right because God likes it. And it's wrong because God don't like it. But the reality is, is that in that case, ignorantly so, we find out if we would be wise enough, we'd find out that in fact, we're the God in that case. And that what we ourselves choose is right is based upon what we like. And what we dream is wrong, we based upon what we don't like. So if we like something, then we want it. If we're ignorant, if we're wise, we can like something and say, yeah, I like it, but I don't want it. It's beautiful, but I don't need it. Uh, and so if we can come to that position, then we can remain whole. But if we say, oh no, I want it. Therefore I need it. That means that now someplace I will be better off if I have it. Therefore, I'm incomplete now. And if I'm incomplete now, but I would be better off if I had that, then it's going to 
plug itself in and become part of me and I'll be better off with it. But along with that is, is that then we have the sense of that thing that I need that's going to complete me and make me whole because I want it in the moment and I feel incomplete without it. But if I had it, I'd plug it right in and then I'd be complete and whole. It must be a good thing, right? And that's the second level of delusion that comes with I like it, I want it, into I need it, into it's got to be good. And if it's good, it's good for me, it's got to be good for you too if you'd only listen to me. And that's where hypocrisy and making rules for other people and abortion laws and all of that kind of stuff come into play. So if we can, with the noble mind, recognize for ourselves what is right and what is wrong based upon what is dukkha and what is not dukkha, instead of doing it through our feeling system, which is the way that we've been doing it all along. And not only that, but we normally feel the way that everybody else feels. We're kind of trained into it that way. And then we're trained into what we do with the causes and the rules and all of that to create those feelings that are familiar anyway. And so this is when we become completely socialized into saying that things are good based upon the general consensus that everybody likes it and it feels good. And that can be uh, that can have uh, amazing consequences. An example of that would be an entire political party and all of those members. They're looking for the feel good and they get all the cooperation from all the other people who want to feel good. And so they start doing things that harm other people, but it keeps making them feel good. Like a rich man keeping getting more money, more money and more money, even though um, other people are. Uh, let us say plotting his ill, but he feels good. Okay. So this whole quality of us wanting to feel good about it, therefore it is good. We get into the position of money is good. And And the more money I have, the better I feel. But that's an ignorant, ignorant way of looking at it. If we come into the noble way of looking at it, then we can look at it from this perspective of, is this going to cause suffering in myself or in others, either right now or off into the future? And there's um, also a side point about that, where the Buddha says that if you avoid wrongdoing, then right here in the now, because you're already far enough advanced. People who are really ignorant will do wrongdoing and not wake up to it completely, but they will feel guilty, they will feel bad, and they want to feel good, but they keep doing bad things to feel good, but they won't really allow themselves to do that. They don't quite have permission to get all the benefits of the theft that they have. It's not really good enough. And so, when we recognize that, oh, it's not a matter of is it good and I get more of it, I'll feel better. It's, it's really the point of can we have the wisdom to see whether this is causing myself and other people actual dukkha, including how I feel when I rip somebody off or I take advantage of them, keeping my business going, 
Well, if I, I hadn't have screwed that customer, we'd be out of business. So I have a clarification. Pardon? Um, uh, between this, uh, there, there's some, there's two ways that something kind of is suggested to be good: an intention and the consequence. So, for example, if I bake a cake for my friend, but my friend is allergic to wheat, then that's a really good attention, you know, let's say for a birthday, but which has a terrible consequence. Uh, either they don't eat the Only cake. Only if you lie to him, oh, it ain't got no wheat, but most cakes he knows. Exactly. Or, or if I uh, or if I don't realize and I didn't check before, you know, I could make an honest mistake. He forgot to tell it to me. Obviously, there's ignorance abound in that situation. But the consequence is not great. Well, in uh, or the consequences of well, I'm glad you told me I'll not do that again. Which is exactly the way that we should have um, for any kind of wrongdoing when we find it is wow, what a relief. I'm glad that I know now that you're allergic to wheat and I'm not going to cook any more wheat cakes for you. Well, if if you do that with everything in your life, then you will have that noble attitude because that noble attitude is I'm not going to hurt you. I don't want to hurt you. OK, and so we begin to look at that. What if it's too late to undo the thing that that could have happened? Ah, but that's the whole point. Yes. What if it is too late? Well, what is too late? Too um, late means later you feel bad. Is that what too late means? Well, let's say you try. I mean, did you know about the scared straight programs? Uh, yes, and it's really not much different from whatever we would mean by hitting the rock bottom. So some people will straight. get scared straight when they hit rock bottom. This is what the Alcoholics Anonymous is, uh, is expecting. Well, they don't want the people about... who are there because of the court telling them. They want people who want to go there because they can see how dangerous it is to continue doing it the way that they have been. That so I can see why right? that. Yeah. So what you're talking but about is what I didn't actually saying. do that. Scared, Sorry, straight, straight, scared straight didn't actually do that. That was the idea. But it just meant that actually people were less scared and more likely to do things having seen the consequences aren't that bad. Oh, well, I was just ready to get right into that, as you as you say. All right. So, so there you have a good intention leading to bad consequences. Uh huh. OK, and let so me give you a word is, for it. What? Let me give you a word for it. It's called a sting. Have you ever heard of a, of a word called or, or an action or, or a sting operation? The police do it all the time. They hide behind um, uh, barriers or um, um, uh, uh, signs, uh, uh, billboards, that kind of stuff, and just sit there waiting for somebody to come by and then ah, I got you. I'm there to sting you. Okay, there was an old movie back in the 1970s as they wanted to catch this guy and they couldn't catch him for anything. So they pulled a sting by building a um, a bedding outfit that was outside of the uh, actual ring itself. And they would have radio to tell uh, what the, uh, the thing was. And they got him to bet all of this kind of money up and then. It got raided by the by the police, which was part of the guys who were running the sting operation anyway, and wound up getting this guy's all of this cash that he was going to. OK, so that's that's one of the examples of a sting. So 
whenever any kind of people who think that they're an authority, whether it's social workers or anybody else in an NGO or whatever, saying, oh, we're going to do something to help these guys and we're going to trick them. We're going to fool them. We're going to get them in like this, this situation that you're talking about here and scare them all to death, scare them straight. And guess what? Most of those kids or one of them will see it and then everybody knows it, that this is a scam. And they wind up recognizing that, oh, most of my fear is probably uh, uh, ignorance anyway. And so now they're even less afraid. So they didn't get scared straight. But it is possible in a real situation that somebody is scared straight. And it's rare. The question is, here's the question for each one of you. What is it going to take for you to be scared straight? What's it going to take to get you to get scared straight? Maybe I should ask that same question in a little different context. What is it going to take for you to be able to see the first noble truth? What's it going to take for you to wake up and see that some things are dangerous and you don't touch them anymore? That's what they were trying to do in that situation with that scared straight stuff. And it backfires. It always does. No, I wouldn't say it always does. Zen masters are pretty good at it. Slamming the door at the right time and that kind of stuff. Setting students up. In fact, I got to be honest with you, Achan Po was a master at that kind of stuff, too. Um, in fact, just today, I was telling the guys about it because here on this island, we've got the same thing. There's is an animal that is about this long. It would be a wasp if a wasp were a wasp. Wasp were about like this. This dude's an inch and a half across from head to, to, to thorax, okay? And that um, it's black with big yellow wings. It's a huge, huge hornet. And they're, they're vicious. And all the Thai people know about it. So here I am standing out in the woods with Achan Po, uh, basically standing in the shade of the tree just right off the path. And one of those things land right on the side of his head, right on the very left-hand side. And I see that. I know he knows it, but he didn't miss a link, didn't miss a check. And then it starts walking down this way during a round and then comes down and gets about to his eyebrow. And when it got down to his eyebrow, that's when I started to do something. My right arm went up and he was waiting for a gesture on my part to see what I was going to do when that great big bug was on his head crawling around down into his eye. And he put his hand up just you you know he he'd got it i i had been able to stay um equanimous about it until it had crawled all over him but he was going to wait to see how long it took for me to react <laughs> to that thing and when i did react he was ready for me and when i saw that he had gestured was to not do anything else that i was just raising my hand up and he put it up like that and that was the lesson he had set me up for that. How long would he have stood in the woods and let that thing crawl right over his face? How long? 
until it flew away. away. Huh? Until it flew away. And maybe we don't know because we're not going to be there to watch what happens to Achan Po out in the woods when one of those bugs crawls. Or maybe the other side of the coin, if you want to go down this path, is he summoned that thing to put me through the test. <laughs> okay. But in that regard, at least in that realm, I actually believed that this was real. And what happens with those sting operations that the people get, uh, they catch that this is a string, a sting. That's why people in general do not like to be stopped by the cops. They don't like it. Why? Because it's always a surprise. It's always a, a sneak. The cops are sneaky. They're trained that way. As opposed to, say, the cops in Thailand, if you want a cop, go to the cop station. They got a big police station. Cops hanging around all over the place with nothing to do and no place to go. And if you need a policeman, there's one for you. And generally what the police do in Thailand is that they, they settle family and uh, um, oh, community problems. And since they're very good at it, the police have not a lot to do. On this island, by the way, you guys, uh, uh, Daniel and, and Matt, know about the full moon party that's here on the island. And they have people who get drunk and get into fights and all of that kind of stuff. You know how the Thai, Thai police handle that? They'll take them back to their room or to the hospital, depending on which way they want to go. But they don't arrest any of them. Now, if you have a great big drunken brawl in uh, anywhere in the United States, the cops are going to put every one of them they can patch into jail and maybe a couple of bystanders to boot. But here on the island, they don't do that. That's much more of the Thai way. And also, imagine what the European newspapers would have, maybe frontline uh, headline news. Uh, all of these people from this country get arrested in Copangan, and that's going to hurt tourism big time. Okay, so anyway, in that regard, you could say that the Thai police now have a better right, closer to right livelihood than the ones in the West. The Western cops are actually, it's part of being a cop is to lie to people. They want you to tell them the truth, but they're not about to tell you the truth. And so that would be automatically right, uh, not right livelihood. In fact, um, I have, in fact, had police officers ask me about that. And guess what? I'm genuinely willing to tell them that uh, if you start looking at your behavior as a cop, you start looking at the bad behavior that your job requires of you and all of the people around you, you may decide that this is not a beneficial, wholesome place for you to live, to be, to spend your time. Because you'll wind up in miserable. How many of you know, by the way, on the just aside, does anybody here know a happy cop? No, all my friends have cops. I have two or three. They are miserable. They are angry. They are like, horrible. They, they, they are depressed. Everything. Uh, they are bad. Yeah. Well, if I you have, have an friends... Uncle. Was what was that? He looks sad. So, 
many, many professions, if you take that profession, it's going to be very hard, very miserable life. I much, much rather would be throwing a pizza dough in the air, having fun at it, showing off, than holding a rifle, twirling it. So we can look at it from, from that perspective. Now let's go into it a little bit deeper. And that is often whenever we think about some sort of activity, whether it was speech, whether it was action, or whether it was engaged with our livelihood, we want to make it okay. Whatever job I've got, because I'm keeping it and I'm not quitting my job, it must then be okay because I need it. You see, there's that thing that we were talking about before, except that deeper inside, we know that that job is causing us ill will and deceit and other things like that with others. An example of that would be, let us say, a used car salesman who is blind to the people in order to sell a car. He knows it, but when he goes to talk to a friend about it, he will justify that it's okay for him to have that job. Or in other cases, let us say perhaps he got caught in some way. Now he wants to blame someone else for the job that he's done or the action that he's taken. Okay, so we play the blame game and also the yes buts and the arguments because we really don't want to know the truth. You've heard me say before the, the statement of you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, but first it's going to really piss you off. Okay, well, this is that occasion there is when we try to justify our actions, our speech, our behaviors that are okay, when in fact they're not. Or we want to blame someone else. Oh, the devil made me do it. Or I had to. I got into an argument with this guy and I just had to make the point. And so I blooded his nose. I had to do it. It was an important enough argument. I had to hit him, okay? You hear that? We, I mean, we blame other people on a regular basis for what we deep inside know is wrong. If we recognize that, that means us as Dhamma dudes can say, wait a minute, every time I start to justify my behavior, I need to look at the feeling of fear and guilt that preceded that justification. For example, if somebody was a killer, he knew he was a killer, it was okay for him to be a killer. His morality was all 100% that it was okay for him to be a killer. He was raised in that and he never learned anything else. And you call and you come up to him and you call him a, a killer, he'll say, yeah, so what? No big deal. But of us as raised in a different society, and we get called a killer, we'll say, oh no, oh no, I didn't do it. Or these were the circumstances and I had to do it. I had to defend myself or whatever like that. But we don't want to own that we were a killer because we've already got a set of rules and a set of rule bases that bring us into the feeling of guilt. Now that guilt phase may last just an instant before we go into yes buts. 
And in fact, you can see that on the news when uh, the news anchor brings on a new guest, thinking that the new guest is going to agree with him on political things, and the and the, the guest starts eating away at what the host means. The host will actually say, yes, but he'll jump in, he'll start to argue. He does not want his guest to say the things because he believes differently. And we can see that on, on the, uh, the, the press and other things. But guess what? That's just an example. And look at the fact that we do it too. And so can we catch that feeling of guilt? Because the guilt is going to be at the aftermath of a twinge of fear. Oh, no, I have done something wrong. We did see the dukkha. We tried to hide from it. We've been lying about it all along, but we see it anyway. Now, when we're practicing Anapanasati, we're going to say, hey, I'm really going to start looking at that fear and that guilt and recognize that that fear and that guilt is actually my teacher. If I would pay attention to that stuff, it would teach me how to be a good, proper, wholesome, upstanding, noble human being. I already know how to do that. And that is by watching how I feel when I'm not. <laughs> it's actually quite easy. I mean, this is really easy practice, guys. This is Anapanasati. I keep telling you how easy it is. And it's taken me 40 minutes or so just to show you how easy this is. Watch your feelings because your feelings will tell you what needs to be changed right here, right now. Yeah, the Marato. Yes. I had a, a experience like that with my therapist. I tried to manipulate my therapist with some victims, victim, um, being a victim. And mm -hmm. there was a, instantly in my body a Vedana of disharmonizing something really like, oh no, that, that's not nice. Like, it was like an alarm in my body. Mm -hmm. Kind of unpleasant disharmonizing Vedana. And I was like, what was that? I didn't know I was manipulating my therapist. <laughs> until I sensed that. And then I told him, like, I think I'm manipulating you now. <laughs> and that that was a very, very um, useful thing. Like feeling, oh, no, this is something is wrong. I don't know what it, but I, I, I will, I will check. And then I rewind. I rewind. It's like, okay, I just manipulated my therapist right now. <laughs> but yeah, that's um, very, very, very unpleasant feeling, like very disharmonizing. I don't know. Yes. Excellent. And here it is. I think that you were the one who asked the question about it in the first place. And look at it, it's come right back full circle so you can see. Oh, yes, I've been manipulating people. So I bet whatever job you're doing, you do that too there. And one of the ways that we manipulate people is by playing the victim. If you play the champion, that means you don't need them and you're not going to try to manipulate them to get them to, to, to help you. It's only when you're in the state of being a victim do you get around wanting to manipulate them. I mean, after all, if they were wise and all, they would have fixed me in the first place. And since they're so stupid that they don't know what I need and give me what I need, I got to go fix them. I got to go pull a sting operation. <laughs> I got to I got to go manipulate them into doing what I want them to do. How many of you have ever recognized that, that we do this kind of stuff? Yes, go ahead, Martin. Um, so can we say that uh, the unwholesome thought and the hindrance 
are like friends that can show us our craving and uh, our uh, wrongdoing. Yes, that's exactly right. In fact, if we can catch it that way, then that's what we would call it would be a hindrance. And and look at the various pieces of the hindrances that are in there. Almost always there is going to be. Bye bye, Daniel. Almost always there's going to be. Um, the feeling of fear based in there someplace. And we almost always operate out of the fear. And so that's what the fear basically then, if we have enough of it, that gives us kind of a life position of, I can't fix myself, I need help to do it. And this is why we have all of those religions and all of those professions and all of that is because the charlatans and those who want to help you will go into business helping people who can't help themselves. And the teachers, the teachings of the Buddha is you don't and can't get any help. You're going to have to do this all by yourself. You're going to have to start watching what you're doing. You cannot get an invisible plastic Jesus on the dashboard of your truck to drive that truck. You're going to have to drive it yourself. And they have the idea that, oh, I have to have that plastic Jesus or I'm going to wreck my truck. No, basically the, the the plastic Jesus is not going to help us. No guru, no magic Jesus, nothing is going to do the job of teaching us to see whether what we're about to do is going to cause dukkha for ourselves or other people or whether it's not. And that's the place that we can start is in our behavior. But if we're actually going to practice with Hanapanasanti, then we get away from them all and stop looking at our behavior because we've already put that to rest. We're just sitting here. There's no place. There's nothing to do and no place to go. And so now we can go back to the source of this. We don't have to interrupt it at the behavior level. Now we're going to interrupt it at the thought level because any behavior that you have had to have been preceded by the thought of it. We don't act willy nilly. We act subconsciously, but we always act from some place of consciousness. And if we can see that, we have control over it. And if we can't see it, it's subconscious and we don't have control over it. Okay. An example of that is, is has anybody ever fidgeted or been um, anxious, moving your hands, uh, touching your face, doing any of that kind of behavior? And even even to the point of, let us say, just merely twiddling your thumbs. And then you recognize I'm twiddling my thumbs. Now you can stop it. I guess what? I just noticed three of you taking your hand away from your face when we start talking about that. Did anybody else notice that? <laughs> gotcha. So if we recognize what we're doing with our body, we have control over it. And if we're not watching what the body is doing, it's, all, it's still some level of consciousness is causing that twiddling of the thumb or the scratching of the beard or the holding of the nose or whatever that we're doing. We're doing it subconsciously. Guess what? Most of your thinking is done subconsciously also. 
all of that we were not even paying too attention to ourselves it's almost like have you ever seen somebody um are you 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 yourself you turn the television on and then you walk around doing whatever you want to do you're not paying attention to the tv but there it is blaring at you okay our own bodily behaviors and our own mind is doing that same thing and we're not paying attention so what we're really uh, doing here is we're going to practice paying attention to what we're thinking because then we have a choice over it so that if we get good at that then when it's time to act we'll be acting with those uh, um, wholesome thoughts that we're creating rather than the unwholesome thoughts that used to guide our behavior and so now we can begin to go into right livelihood and then we run slam into our right livelihood is that question because of my job or my, uh, my uh, now that I can see that my actions are uh, such that I intend to and want to and am monitoring and be and it becomes sort of the new life story that I'm going to start watching what I'm doing. And then when the re job requires that we go into wrongdoing. That's the time to notice, is this livelihood correct or not? Now, notice that this is a very late phase and I talk about it. Uh, let me talk about it on, uh, from the other perspective. Somebody sits down at their job and they say, I don't like this job. And basically, then they go outside and I don't like outside. They get in their car and I don't like the car. We go home and I don't like going home. And so what is the point about not liking the job when we're already in the habit of not liking things? So let's get the mind into the habit of being in a, in a wholesome state so they begin to like things. And now we can go do the job liking. And if the job itself overwhelms my liking to the point that it's only the job that I don't like, and why do I not like it? It's because the job requires me to do things that I know are wrong. And that's a very interesting thing, that at one time I quit a job that had to do with the U.S. military. Just inside I knew the job was wrong. I was taking care of the computers. I wasn't hurting anybody. In most situations it was... Uh, and then, in fact, if it had been um, at Hewlett Packard instead of the U.S. military, it would have been a, a fine job. But no, it was the military. And I just didn't want to support the military. And so I quit that job. So that's an example of it. That, uh, so the first thing that we have to do with the job is to get the mind in that noble state get the mind so that we can like things in general, and then we apply that to our speech. We apply it to our actions, and then we apply it to the job itself. And we have each one of us has to make that own your own determination. Nobody, no Oracle, you can't go to the uh, Oracle of Delphi and ask them the question and expect a good answer. Nobody's going to have to help you with this. This is something each one of you are going to have to figure out for yourself. Is what I'm doing yeah. right now wholesome or not? That's the question. Yeah, Damarato. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I had this I had this situation. 
I was in a job in a factory that was just producing olive oil, which is fine. It's not uh, harmful. But but my I, I was hurting physically myself. My knees were bad and my my hips were bad. And if I wanted to quit, the people would say, "Oh, please don't quit because is we need people." And then I was like, "Okay, hurting myself or I'm." I'm putting people in trouble. That was, uh, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. Okay. So, in fact, you're back to that situation that we referred to earlier. This is a milder and more real version of somebody's about to commit suicide, and then he begins to understand that the people around him will suffer if he kills himself. Okay, and so if you go kill that job, in this case, you found out that you're going to have to find a way of quitting that job so that people don't feel so bad. I actually had a situation like that that I was teaching uh, <laughs> Anapanasati at a uh, uh, a Unitarian church. And when it came time to go back to Thailand, uh, the goodbyes weren't good enough. They wanted me to stay. And so I promised him something, a promise that I was never able to fulfill. And so I remember that. I'm not going to promise anybody that I come back because I never went back. And so we have to make sure that when we leave a situation like that, where the people around you don't want you to quit the job, maybe keeping it another few weeks and say, okay, I'll stay a little while longer and I'll teach you everything I know to make it as easy on them as, as possible. Okay. Or here's a, here's a silly way of thinking about it. If you're going to commit suicide, poison yourself slowly <laughs> so that your friends and family can get used to the fact that you're sick and dying. And so they don't hurt so much. It's always the surprise that gets us. Sudden death, you know. So um, it's always a matter of how are we going to handle it to do the least amount of damage possible. And sometimes we recognize, in fact, Matt, I've talked, I've told you about this before in the regard of the um, cost benefit analysis. And we have to do that cost benefit analysis with things like quitting the job so that we do the least amount of damage and get the maximum amount of benefit. And we can all do that so that we know that that's our criteria. If we recognize that all oh, this is the Dhamma way to do it is to minimize the damage. Rather than heighten the, uh, the value, the right way to do it in first off is to minimize the damage. So going back to that point about that we often justify our bad behavior by making excuses for it an example of this one is is that i've heard this many many times from let us call them both ultra famous and big famous and also obscure teachers of the dhamma and meditation teachers will justify their charging money and one of the uh, one of the ways that they justify it will be, oh, look how much benefit these people are getting paying for my services. 
or look at the good that we're doing. Um, uh, uh, clearly, Satya Sai Baba was a charlatan. He was a, uh, I see you uh, smiling, um, Drew, and that uh, he, he did prostitution. He had uh, objects that would appear um, magically, um, uh, oh, ash, powder, that kind of thing. And they gave him millions and millions and millions of dollars. And what he did with a lot of that money was build hospitals around Bangladesh and, and other places like that. And he did a lot of good. But the whole point was, is that it was done out of, out of greed. That these people expected that if they gave all of that money of their own to Satya Sai Baba, that they would get some spiritual value out of it. And yet a lot of people kept getting felt ripped off especially when they found out what he was really up to. So these are various things that happen that people will justify their own wrong behavior, thinking that they're doing people a whole lot of good, when, when in fact, uh, if anything, they're helping to entrench a brand new Western Buddhism that is more of a business than it is the actual real deal. And so this is part of the reason why I would like to take uh, the the money out of the out of the Dhamma and put the Sangha back in the friendship, the caring, the mutual uh, respect that we have for each other so that we're not out there trying to rip each other off. On that note, mm -hmm. I had a question about this actually earlier about the Sangha. Uh huh. Uh, which is obviously we love having you around, Damarato. Um, we also want you to teach within your capacities. Um, but I think many of us, or at least I, might not feel ready to share Dhamma. So when is a Dhamma dude, when is a Dhamma person ready to share Dhamma? When he's got a smile. <laughs> You're sharing the Dhamma right then and there. <laughs> That's all it takes. Cheer people up. That's how you can help people cheer them up. You want to hear a really silly example of that? Oh, I feel so bad. I'm about to die. I'm going to kill myself. Oh, can I watch? <laughs> I, I've never seen anybody do it. I would really enjoy watching that. Now, look at the... I mean, look at the change that you just made, each one of you. Everybody will respond. Oh, yeah, can I watch? Now, that, that's, an, that's a psychological intervention right there. <laughs> a psychotherapy, a psychotherapy, a psychotherapeutic intervention. And bring them out of their misery immediately into a smile. So you can do that, Drew. You can walk up to any misery gut and smile. Smile, don't you smile? That's what the, that's what the teaching of the food is. Can you remember to smile? Sometimes my patients wear thin, so I have to 
I have to take it easy on myself. Maybe do one a day and then two a day and so on and so forth. <laughs> oh, build up five smiles a day. I got you. <laughs> yeah. Because sometimes I'm like, oh, of course I want you to smile. And then other times I'm like, why are you, why are you not smiling already? <laughs> well, you forgot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Gladdening the mind is actually if you um. In the in the polytext of the gladdening of the mind portion of the Anapanasati, we under, have to understand that it's not just the thought, because of the reference, that this is actually in the Sita Nupatana, which means then that it's not just telling ourselves gladdening thought or words; it's actually brightening the mind itself. To brighten the mind. And the mind is wired to the body. And one of the wirings that we know for sure is, is that if you make a smile on your mouth, it'll make your brain smile. And if you make your brain smile, the mouth will smile too. They're interrelated that way. And so it goes both directions. That's actually, by the way, also in the um, Anapanasati Sutta, in the sense of seeing these mental conditioners seeing the all the conditioners that the body affects the feelings the the mind affects the feelings the feelings affect the mind the feelings affect the body it's all mixed up together and in this regard smile aren't you smile it works you can get your happy on and then you go out and keep your happy on while you're dealing with all those unhappy you deal with them with a happy face. And if you can't, if they get to you, take a hike. Get away from them. Go back and get your ju your Jojo's again. Go get your mojo back and then go back and deal with them again. That's called the training. So if you can only manage one smile, then take a hike. Go back and get two of them and then come back and give them two smiles and then walk away. But as always, the point is, is that we can only remember so much. And so the major training of Anapanasati is to help us to begin to remember that smile when we need it the most. There is no way to happiness. Happiness is the way. Right, exactly. There is no way to happiness because happiness is the way. And all we have to do is to remember that everything's already okay. I mean, why do we keep wanting things to be different than they are? And things are not going to get different just because we want it. This is magical thinking of a child. We get to, into that kind of thinking when we're ch children, because when we want something, we make a commotion. Mom sees it, what we want, and gives us to us. What a bad habit we get into of getting given what we want. Because then we when we grow up, we begin to demand things from God and the universe and the government and your neighbors and all kinds of things, expecting them to bail us out. This is back to the blame game that we were talking about before, which comes from the bad feelings of I can't fix myself. I can't do it. I need help. And we have to come to the point of, oh, yes, I can. I can do it all by myself. That's the confidence, or the Pali word is Sushrata. And that attitude change is called the Sama Sankapa. That's what we're developing, to get that mojo, 
I've got this. I can handle this one. The joke in, in, in the sense of if you were in a bar, the way you'd say it is, hold my beer. <laughs> I'm going to go interrupt that argument. <laughs> okay. So that's the way that we have it. We, we begin to develop that attitude. And then when we get into the position of having to deal with a job, that inherently on its own is unwholesome and we can see it for ourselves that it's unwholesome, that's when it's time to start looking around. But don't do that until you've already got your own joy juice. Don't quit a job because you're miserable. Quit the job because it's the job that's miserable. Does that make sense for you then, Jesus? I I am processing that now. A lot of people, when I when I speak to them about some of these things, they they say, um, "Oh, but then if you're always happy all the time, then like you've got nothing to do you... all the time. If no, no, unhappy, no, no not just nothing to do." actively worse it's like oh you'd put up with all this bad stuff like racism or sexism or like exploitation etc yeah, and if everybody uh, would do that there would be no racism and sexism and all of that why should and, uh, i go no, the, add uh, my uh, own uh, anti-racism and sexism they're just making a mess i i said no 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 if you're happy then you're not going to put up with that and then you'll do something about it but in a happy way <laughs> right you're not going to put up with a rubbish job Right. Okay. But in that case is what we're talking about again is one person at a time. If yes. they're willing to listen to your smile, I started to say they'll listen to you teach the Dhamma, but I said if they'll listen to your smile, now you've got an audience. Okay. And that's where we can do it. It's always one person at a time coming to the Dhamma. It's never 500 at a time. That's actually not true. In the time of the Buddha, there was one guru who took his whole crowd and they all happily went to the Buddha. Isn't it also making friends? And once you make the friends and they open up to you, 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 you find these opportunities to drop in a bit of wisdom into them and then they go like, oh, oh yeah, that does make sense. It does make sense. Yeah, it does. And then you can just like, slowly slowly begin to bring the smile to their face by just like these little drops of water right thank you yes that's the step two it starts with the smile then develops a friendship then into the wisdom and now they're ready to hear the truth without being in such great pain and that's when they become interested in the dhamma and they want to hear the dhamma because they recognize that it's got more benefit than it does um pain to it but most uh, people they don't little... want to hear the dhamma in the beginning they don't want to be responsible for their own mess how do we change it number one smile number two make friends with them number three when they start asking you questions you begin to give the the answers that get them interested in pursuing it deeper. And guess what? Magic guru, there you are. 
And how long did that take? Maybe 10 minutes, maybe 15 seconds, and now you're a guru. You got a client or whatever. <laughs> oh, gee, well, that's what they call it. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, doesn't take long once you learn that you can smile and, and, uh, and carry the wisdom of that around with you to all of these unhappy people who don't like their job. They've got the same job. In fact, the reason uh, is why they wanted you to stay is because they thought that they'd be worse off without you. And the worse off meant that they didn't like the job in the first place. All right. So that's another thing is, is that you can you can walk out with a smile and a wink. And as you leave the door, you can say, come follow me. <laughs> We're all out of here. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a very messy little job. Yeah, it's very bad. It's very bad. Yeah, so I think I did the right thing. Mm. It's very bad. Mm. I have oh. a successful story about sharing the Dharma. Just, uh, just one, one very short one. Like a few days ago, I, um, I showed a video of us talking, the Marato and I talking to my friend, which is, uh, he's very into philosophy. Uh, he's listening to this podcast of 90, 100 episodes of philosophy. And I showed the video to him and he was mind blown. Like, wow, what is this? Who is this boss? I mean, like the first contact with the Noble Dhamma to him was like, he couldn't believe it. It's like, I mean, it was a pity party. I'm feeling pity everywhere now. Like, he was like, what is this? I love this. I mean, it's like, this is my way to, to, to share it with him. I mean, it was mind blown. Uh-huh. Well, invite him onto yeah. our group here. And give that video's try. address to to, to, uh, to Drew and let him use it as his first ammunition, his first bullet. <laughs> <laughs> I will. <laughs> yeah, that was beautiful to see. Yeah, please do. I'm always looking for good ones. Uh, I mean, Tamarato is always on form, but there's some ones which are like, uh, that's the, you want to capture that in a bottle. And it is already captured, so you might as well use it. Uh-huh. Well, I, I think I think the thing who who did it to him was like it was me talking. I mean, he was me like because he knows oh, me. Oh, the running life. commentary. That's always the best. Oh, yeah, yeah. In that case, there's a couple out there I can always send. It's like, look, this is me talking about this exact thing with someone else who knew, better, who knew a bit better. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, in the video was me like I was hey. me talking with the Marato. And, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. My English is a bit. Uh, <laughs> I got you. I got you. Thanks. So does anybody have anything else to say? I think that we pretty well um, gotten everybody ready to quit their job today. <laughs> <laughs> that was a sting operation, by the way, guys. <laughs> so anybody got any last remarks before they leave? Pedro, I haven't seen you. What you got to say? God, so, um, I have to. I I've joined again uh, from the from the phone, and I didn't turn on the camera. But I'm here, present <laughs> with you all. <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm glad because uh, even uh, if uh, uh, I personally don't have questions, then something very interested interesting comes up in the in the sangha 
all the time. Uh, yes, yes. Like uh, we, 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 every time we, we, we say also over and over again that uh, it, it's, uh, it's good to take uh, uh, charge for, uh, for this. Also, you said uh, earlier to, to find out what is uh, right, right livelihood, you know, with this teacher of the feelings that we have, that uh, no, no, no one can can tell you like. Uh, uh, so this is right for you, hundred percent. If you if you don't know yet with your mind, but you yourself can find what is right uh, livelihood according to the feelings and to the and to the the sensations so yeah this is like uh it's uh it could be a bit uh messy to hear this message because uh when i heard this heard this because uh it's like uh, I, i'm a bit left alone but at the same time it it creates space in the mind to to work with mm -hmm. good Carl, I'm glad to see you. You took a hiatus for a while, and now you're back. Yeah, yeah. I was a bit out. Uh, rough times a bit, but yeah, I'm back. Well, the rough times is when to come back. That's something I don't understand. People, when they have a really hard time, they won't come to, to talk or come to the groups. And I mean, if you're if you're not feeling happy, come to me. I'll make you happy. No, it's not. It's not. Happy. I, just song, had, you know. I just had like a couple situations in life where I didn't have like access to internet and stuff like that. So, yeah. Oh well, that one I can't do anything about it. I mean, internet is something real. I can't say just talk to Damarato. I mean, we don't know how to do that yet. <laughs> Your voice was always in my head anyway, so it, it helped me to get through it. Well, I'm so glad to see you again, Max. Do you have any last comments? No. How about you, Martin? You got anything to say? Yeah. No, that that's all good. Thank you very much to all of you guys and to you, Damarato, and okay. uh, and uh, that's all good. <laughs> Great. All right, guys. Well, we'll see you next time. Bye -bye. Right, Thank you. Enjoy. We'll see you. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you. Take care. Thank you.